actually managed to show up to a Saturday recording for once. You did great. We're both Thank doing you. great. Thank you. Okay, let me situate this mic stand. Mackle. Hi. Hi. How are you? Oh, I feel good. Great. Did you just wake up? You have just woke up energy. Oh, yeah. It's a sunny day. Well, it was a foggy day, and now the sun is kind of burning off the fog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just took a really long walk with the paparino in in the foggy fall morning, which was very lovely. That sounds nice. And now he's sitting here beside me, chewing on one of his toys, like a dutiful son. So good. (sighs) I love the fall weather so much. I've been eagerly awaiting it. Although it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, it feels weird for it to be this warm. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that aspect, but also it's getting to the point where all the leaves are almost gone. So it's just looking a little scruffy. All the leaves around me and the sky is gray. Yeah. Walking to a church on a windy day. Yada, yada. Yeah. Vahule. But yeah. How are you, Hava? Brosham. I'm good. I, um, I've been like making really good progress on the paper that I'm writing, the teshuva that I'm writing as part of the Transhalacha project. I've been really writer's blocked for a while on it. And I like just had this moment the other day where I like, I guess I just been chipping away at the block for long enough that I finally like cracked through on the concept that I was trying to figure out how to say in words. And that felt really good. Yeah, puppy life. Puppy life is hard. Puppy life is challenging. Puppy needs a lot from me. Yeah. Um, but he's very sweet. He pays it back in cuddles. But it's a lot. I'm doing a lot of walking, which is actually really good for me. Now I don't have that much choice about whether to go out on a walk around the neighborhood or not. He's forcing me to like take a little better care of myself, which is one of the upsides of a dog, I would say. Yeah, that's true. Forcing you to leave the cocoon you've created to shelter yourself from mm-hmm. the chaos of the world around you i was gonna say i think this is one of the first times we're recording not after or before you've done some other meeting with someone else so Mm -hmm. you're just wearing a t-shirt you're wearing a floppy t-shirt i'm wearing the t-shirt i wore on my walk around the neighborhood i have that no meeting energy yeah it's kind of nice i like it I like you. Yeah, I would love to have it more often. Unfortunately, that's not the hand I've been dealt for a while. Yeah, you're an outward facing person. Yeah, it's true. I'm front of house. Yeah, definitely. You described me off the pod as someone who is too top to bottom and too bottom to top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm too back of house to be front of house and too front of house to be back of house. Right, right. There's a Panic! The Disco song called uh, Too Weird to Live, Too Young to Die, and I think that also applies here. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> mm. you're, just a, you're just a little bit too much, too little all the time, you know? Maybe it's a born in the wrong time situation. Maybe it's a, you're just like a unique hothouse flower who has to be coddled by the universe. Mm, maybe it's a, a classic, uh, my dad said that he loved me too much or something. Yeah, you just receive too much coddling as a child. But like not enough to like fully tip it, tip it over. You know what I mean? Right. Like not enough to make you fully bottom, just enough to spoil your chances of making it to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Like you got more than enough, you know? But I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I know, I know. You <laughs> to be perfectly clear, I mean, neither did I. I did not. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I think I'd make a good bus boy, though. Yeah, 
I feel like, you know, you just belong in the back office of the restaurant, like doing things on a really old calculator with big sheets of paper. Yeah. Being like, we should really get our parsley from this supplier. Yeah, exactly. And then someone else says, shut up, Michael. We're getting the parsley where we've always gotten it. But but numbers, the numbers. <laughs> uh, how is your life? How's your house? How's your dog? How's your GF? GF is good. She's sitting right next to me. Hi, GF. Oh, cute. She just uh, coquettishly shook her <laughs> shoulders at me. I feel like you uh, interpret a statistically abnormal number of things as coquettish. But she's I my think, girlfriend, I you think know? you look at the world through coquettish glasses. Yeah, maybe I do. You're like, that leaf is falling off a tree coquettishly. How's work? Is it grinding you into a dust? Yeah, yeah, it's grinding me into a dust. Um, you know, most of the house projects are almost done. We're getting another heat pump. You know, going to be a luxurious winter at the Sokolovsky cabin, Sokolovsky estate. Anything will be better than our first winter. Yeah, that was pretty rough. It was bad. Now it'll be hopefully bearable. Discovered a like a new ice cream shoppy, you know, in town that we're going to check out. Is it going to be delicious because it's fancy or it's delicious because it's like hometown simple ice cream? I think it's actually kind of both. Ooh. A hometown, but also fancy. Wow, great. That's exciting. We got a bunch of fried fish last night. Oh my god. Yeah, there's like a seafood shack around here that yeah. occasionally we'll go to. So we got some haddock and fries and wow. clam chowder. You can't really get it up here, but I really miss fried catfish. It's a big staple in the South, big staple food that my family used to eat a lot, and I really miss it. I think my grandmother was anti-catfish. Justifiably so. They are nasty little creatures. <laughs> they look bad. They are just like, don't research catfish too much. You won't like what you find. Well, I know they look freaky and they, do they well, have Well, they look freaky and they're also, they cannibalize each other. They eat each other. They're not kosher, technically. They're like bottom feeders, so they're technically like a little bit gross, but like just enough that we can still eat them. <laughs> they're just like the nasty little guys of the fish world. I wonder what like this that Seafood Watch lobbying organization says about them. You know about Seafood Watch? Fish Watch or something? Seafood Watch. Catfish. Catfish. Seafood Watch. Um, What's your verdict? Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. That's the one. Loading. Loading. God, when did the internet become so bad? Uh, 2016, I think, was when it turned. The advent of React? I think it was like the the fully automated luxury social media was what took it down. Well, whatever component of this page would tell me about Catfish doesn't want to load because of that reason. So we will just have to wait to find out. So that's the end of our episode. We were just going to tell you about Catfish today. Catfish, Seafood Watch. Oh, wait, it's loading for me. What's the story? National Consumer Guide. Catfish. Yeah, uh, U.S. sourced catfish is well-managed and farmed responsibly as a generalization. Okay, I can eat catfish in ethical peace. Yeah, if you're interested, folks, go to seafoodwatch.org and you can look up what type of fish and uh, sea products are, <laughs> are the most... This episode is not sponsored by Seafood Watch. No, no, no. I have played a contradance in Monterey, though. So, basically sponsored by Seafood Watch. Monterey is an interesting town. It's in California. 
it's on the coast. <laughs> okay, before we get on to exploring the town of Monterey, today is a very exciting day on the podcast. Oh, it is. That's right. It is. Yeah. It is exciting. But before, also before we talk about that, I just want to take a moment, as I rarely do, to tell people, first of all, if you're a patron of this show, we deeply and especially appreciate your support and allowing us to keep going. If you enjoy the show and you want to help us keep making it, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? We no longer make patron-exclusive episodes because we wanted everyone to have all the content, but there is a huge back catalog of patron episodes that you can only get on our patron feed. And if you're not able to join the Patreon, tell a friend about our show. That would be so sweet. Anyway, enough of that regular podcast stuff. Back Mm -hmm. to our weird podcast stuff. It's a special day because it's finally Russian Doll Season 2, Episode 1. That's right. That's right, it is. I'm very excited. Michael, how did you like the episode? I thought it was a nice episode. There was some fan service. (laughs) How did it compare to the opening of the whole series, which you were sort of poo-poo on? I forget why I was. Uh, I think you just, I don't know. I don't know. It just didn't have enough substance for you, I think. This one set up a little bit, some, some mysteries here and there about what's going on. But I feel like it was pretty simple, pretty jump in right away to a new weird metaphysical crazy mystical problem the stakes are a little bit lower it seems like well we'll see okay so episode summary we start with a very weird and mysterious scene of an older lady with red hair getting a bag out of a tunnel and digging it out of a hole yes we don't know what that is just foreshadowing i guess Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm And that's great, you know. Who doesn't love a generous dollop of foreshadowing? But then we come back to Nadia. She's living her life. She's trying to quit smoking. She's on her way to the hospital. That's right. To see Ruth, who has gotten in a fender bender, and she helps Ruth fill out her hospital paperwork, and it's very cute. And she gets Ruth all taken care of and settled in the hospital. Then she heads out and she has this phone call with Maxine, which is a very cute and funny phone call. Maxine says a bunch of silly stuff during this phone call. I don't remember all of it, but there was, oh yeah, at the end of the phone call, she asked Nadia to pick up her lacrim, what is it called? Lacrimatory. Lacrimatory from her glass maker, which is like a vessel for containing tears which was a very art kid of her to ask for and nadia's like oh no i can't hear you i'm going in a subway tunnel she's waiting in the subway tunnel and she looks across and she sees on the other platform horse from season one that's right horse the homeless guy horse and they have a conversation here's two things i can't believe i didn't think of before this point one totally wild that i did not realize that Horse is all like I didn't think about how horse is also a euphemism for cocaine or not cocaine heroin. Horse is a euphemism yeah. for heroin. Horse, horse okay. is a euphemism for heroin, and Natasha Leone had a heroin addiction, so I think that oh. must be intentional. And also, I was thinking about how horse is a big part of the first episode of Russian Doll, season one, and how he's sort of like a horseman. Of the apocalypse. Oh. Right? Because in in this moment, he's heralding that some shit is about to go down. Well, now I'm thinking about the lacrimatory, the thing that stores the tears. Mm-hmm. And how Maxine said the guy is just one stop off of the whatever train. 
Right. And how uh, a connection there of tears that you're storing, tears from the past that you're storing, one stop off the train and how that relates to what is to come, perhaps. What you're making me think of is that our whole first season was about choosing or not choosing to help people and how if she had just gone on this annoying errand for Maxine, she would have been on a different train. Would she have been on a different train? I don't know. I don't fucking understand. I don't know about the subway system. It's just a possibility. Anyway, she and Horace have this conversation across the train that's very nonsensical. But if you watch it with subtitles, he calls her Nora in this conversation. So clearly Horace is like channeling some supernatural oh, energy here. that's interesting. Um, but we don't know what the fuck that means yet within the episode. So she gets on the subway train and everything on the subway train is all 80s. Everyone's dressed in 80s clothes. Nadia's like not believing it. She's like, what the fuck is happening? Which if I was Nadia, I would just immediately be like, okay, time travel, like whatever, anything's possible in my life. I've died a thousand times. Which she kind of gets to pretty quick. Yeah, she does. She's She doesn't have like the classic TV series or supernatural movie problem where it's like, you should be believing this because yeah. you know about supernatural stuff. I think it's the Cats posters and the Sophie's Choice poster. Mm-hmm. Sophie's Choice. And she looks at the newspaper and sees she's in 1980 yep. and she goes out, gets off the platform. Some people are having a fight. A dude escorts her off the platform station He's working with an organization called the Guardian Angels, which I had never heard of before, but they were a nonprofit volunteer org that was around in the 80s. So she's escorted off the platform by this guy who's being like super, super nice to her and taking care of her. She comes out into 80s New York and a bunch of 80s stuff happens. The song Bella Lugosi's Dead plays, which is a real banger. Yeah, it's nice. And she's like, ooh, 80s. <laughs> she's taking in the 80s-ness of it all, basically, for a while. Yeah, and it's New York is like a dump. Right. It's 80s New York. It's a yeah. very uh, fruitful setting for a show to happen in. And she discovers in her pocket a matchbook that tells her to go to this place called the Black Gumball uh, which is a very, I would definitely go to a bar called the Black Gumball. That sounds great. So she goes to the Black Gumball. She's supposed to meet with someone named Chez at eight. She drops in and orders a drink. And the bartender is like, are you sure you want that drink? And she's like, give me the fucking drink. Because it's the 80s, which will be relevant later. <laughs> she chats up this stranger next to her. And eventually Chez, the mysterious Chez, comes out running away from a Coke deal gone wrong. And they have like a very sexy little bit happening here. It's very, it feels like very clear that Nadia sees this dude and sees that she's a piece of shit. And her like, I'm horny for dudes who suck reflex just like instantly activates. She's like, wow, you look like a real piece of shit. Like, I'm about it. I want to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, this is a fuck boy. Yeah. It's not like she was like, ah, damn, I fell for a piece of shit and I knew it. It's more like, oh, he's a piece of shit. I want to fuck that piece of shit. Perfect. Perfect. This is exactly what I need right now. That's what I love. So they go out and he offers her a black black beauty or a quaalude, which are drugs that both are no longer really around. Black beauties are a form of speed, basically, which sometimes had quaaludes already mixed in them. And then Quaaludes are like a downer. So she's super thrilled about the opportunity to do out-of-date drugs. 
and they break into someone's home together and steal a duffel bag. Then they go back to their house and they're like getting it on, basically getting ready to get it on. Nadia gets up to pee and she looks in the mirror and it turns out that she in the mirror is her mother, Chloe Sevigny, who comes back, who I didn't even realize in season one that Chloe Sevigny had been like cast this whole time. Mm -hmm. So good on them. I love her. And she's super pregnant. And that's why everyone's been being weird to her. Yes, yes, yes. With the drink in the bar. Mm-hmm. With the guy escorting her out so carefully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. She's super pregnant and she freaks out. She runs away and she gets back on the subway train to go back to 2022, which already big difference between, I guess, the conceit of this season and the conceit of last season is like they have some choice, it seems in how things work out and how like they're not like totally trapped via time travel. So first thing she does is she goes back to tell Alan, who's now rocking a mustache. And it looks great. It yeah, really... I'm about the mustache Alan look. Yeah, it breaks up the the buttoned up look quite right. nicely. But he's still very buttoned up. Oh, very buttoned up. But now, like, less threatening, less like I'm going to, at a moment's notice, punch you in the head. Right. Even though that's very not what his character would do. Now it's like at a moment's notice, like, I'll play you like... A fiddle. Yeah, the fiddle. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So she tells Alan about it. And Alan basically believes her, but seems like maybe there's some doubt there. And he has to go on a date that's been set up by his mother, I think. But basically, he thinks everything's going to be fine. But Nadia basically believes this is the start of some big adventure. It's very narnia-esque yeah very narnia. she's like this is it like this is the next thing that's happening and he's like no like this is just life life is just blah and we have to accept that and she's like no like this is the call to adventure which of course it's a tv show so she's right yeah she's right so nadia goes back to check on ruth in the hospital and asks about chez who ruth says is a piece of shit and was responsible for losing the Krugerrands, the coins, one of which Nadia wears around her neck, that would have been her family's fortune. Which was like $100,000, something like that. Yeah, but it go, it went up in value a lot oh, did because they talk of the value about that? of gold. Oh, no, no, but I think that was the adjusted for inflation. Oh, still. Adjusted, but. A lot of money. It's a lot of money, yeah. That would have been hers. Mm-hmm. So she realizes that she just helped them steal the Krugerrands. So she gets back on the train to go back to 1982. Alan is on his date being very bored. And it's unclear whether he excuses himself or this is just after his date. But he also gets on the subway and seems like some things are different in his subway car as well. For instance, all the signs are in German. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Nadia gets back, finds Chez. They have like a little more kissy kissy time. Nadia pretends to go to the bathroom again and Chez runs out with a duffel bag of Krogerans and she tries to chase him, but can't catch him in time. And then she's very upset. And that's the end of the episode. Yep. That was a very good summary. Thank you. It was a lot, a lot of events to recount. I know, but what's nice is like there were no weird... No loop-de-loops. No loop-de-loops, right. So it's easier to keep straight. Right, right. So what kind of themes did you find to get texts on for this episode? I'm curious. Well, there's timey-wimey. There's Mm -hmm. time travel. I think like other themes just kind of presented themselves off of that basic thing. 
Okay, we picked really different things to talk about. So you bring one, and then I'll bring one. Let me read to you a little translation from Mishnah Torah, which is from uh, early medieval time, I believe. Right, Rambam. All right, Rambam. Duh. Um, (laughs) Now that it is clear that he, he being God, possesses neither body nor form, it will also be evident that events of the body do not happen to him. Neither connection nor separation, neither place nor measure, neither going up nor going down, neither right nor left, neither front nor back, neither sitting nor standing, nor is he found within time, or else he would have a beginning and an end, and would have a count of two. And he does not change, since there is nothing that can cause him to change, and he has neither death nor life like the life of a living body, and neither foolishness nor wisdom like wisdom of a wise man, and he has neither sleeping nor waking, and neither anger nor calm, and neither happiness nor sadness, and neither quiet nor speech like the speech of man. And thus the sages said, The Almighty has neither sitting nor standing nor back nor weariness, which is from Hagiga 15a. Yeah. There you go. There you go. God. There is, you go. There you go. Time. God. God right. time. I don't know. Right. I mean, this is a common theme across world religions is that, you know, in the Tao, we read the Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. There's a lot of religions that define divinity or like the ultimate through negatives exclusively. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Not this and not that. Makes God very ominous. Like, I felt like you reading that description, if you had just thrown a couple tentacles in there, it could have been like a Lovecraftian eldritch horror. Like, Cthulhu neither sleeps nor wakes. (laughs) You're right. You will not see So, that's an interesting new take on God. So, you know, time. Time is weird. Right. I thought our stuff was going to be completely unconnected, but it turns out, as usual, that there is going to be a secret connection that I didn't think about because I was most struck by the fact that Nadia is pregnant with herself. Oh, I didn't even think of that. And that's just so wild. And then I was like, what? Is there any way, like, should I just talk about pregnancy? Or like, what's the deal? And then I thought, you know what's kind of similar is Simsum. So uh, this is a concept. It means something like withdrawal. Uh, And I'll just introduce the concept with this text from Lakute Mahoran 64, which is from Rabbi Nachman. He composed this in 1802-ish. And then I'm going to do all English today because there's just too many paragraphs to read. God created the world as a consequence of his compassion, for he wanted to reveal his compassion. And if creation had not taken place, to whom would he have shown his compassion? Therefore, he created the entire creation from the inception of Atsilut all the way down to the central point of the corporeal world in order to display his compassion. Yet when God wanted to create the world, there was no place in which to create it, since there was nothing but Ein Sof, the infinite one. He therefore contracted the light to the sides, and through this contraction, the vacated space was made. Then within this space, all time and space came into existence this being the creation of the world. This vacated space was necessary for the creation of the world, since without the vacated space, there would have been no place in which to create the world, as explained above. Yet understanding and comprehending this contraction of the vacated space will be possible only in the future, since it is necessary to say about it two contradictory things, existence and non-existence. The vacated space is the result of contraction, that God, so to speak, withdrew his godliness from that place. So there is, so to speak, no godliness there. Were it not so, it would not be vacated. 
There would then be nothing but Ein Sof, with no place whatsoever for the world's creation. However, the actual truth is that even so, there is surely godliness there as well, for there is surely nothing without his life force. This is why it is not at all possible to comprehend the concept of the vacated space until the future. So, God became pregnant with the world, which was also God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Created a womb. Right. And... Yeah, Nadia is pregnant with herself. She is sort of, I mean, in a very real sense, she's present at her own inception right now, you know, and it feels very connected to this sort of this idea of the withdrawal. And it turns out connected to your own thing as well, because you're talking about God being not here, not there, you know, not, you know, not this, not that. But then Rabbi Nachman realizes also that we sort of have to split the paradox in order to have a coherent cosmology. And Nadia is like living inside that paradox, right? She's pregnant with herself, but she also is herself. Yeah, and also like the craziness of it all is reminiscent of her mom being crazy. Right. It's interesting how the show, it switches back from like seeing Nadia as her mom, but you're seeing Natasha Lyonne and sometimes you're seeing Chloe Sevigny and... Mm-hmm. I almost don't know if you're seeing a flashback of Chloe Sevigny, like the actual event that right. occurred, or if you're seeing right. Nadia as Chloe Sevigny. Right. Like we know her mom had some kind of mental health yeah. struggles, but now it seems like part of that could have been Nadia inhabiting Chloe Sevigny. Yes. And there's like no separation between her and her mother, which is very like resonant with the themes of season one, where she like has to forgive herself and her mother in order to live, in order to, like, be able to choose life. And now she's, like, on this journey of potentially giving herself life, literally. The inter- the intertwining of people and perhaps the illusion of the self or whatever, it's at play here. I have something kind of related to that. Great, bring it. This is some straight-up Tanakh for you. Great, I love it. A rare treat. So Elijah and Alicia are hanging out with each other. So Elijah is the older prophet. Alicia is the younger prophet. Mm-hmm. Elijah said to Alicia, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And Alicia answers, let a double portion of your spirit pass on to me. Elijah responds, you have asked a difficult thing. If you see me as I am being taken from you, this will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they kept on walking and talking, a fiery chariot with fiery horses suddenly appeared and separated one from the other, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. The way you said fiery really sounded like fiery, like Guy Fieri. Now I'm imagining the Flavortown chariot coming and taking <laughs> oh, <no>. Elijah. <laughs> Oh, no. Okay, Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Alicia saw it and cried out, Oh, Father, oh, Father, Israel's chariots and horsemen. When he could no longer see him, he grasped his garments and rent them in two and picked up Elijah's mantle, which had dropped from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan, which previously Elijah had parted. So, some context. Taking the mantle, which had dropped from Elijah, he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? As he struck the water, it parted to the right and to the left, and Elisha crossed over. When the disciples of the prophets at Jericho saw him from a distance, they exclaimed, The spirit of Elijah has settled in Elisha. And they went on to meet him and bowed low before him to the ground. Got it. Okay. Superpowers passed on. Superpowers passed on. A new hand touches the beacon. 
Yeah. What's that from? That's a Skyrim thing. Oh, it's a Skyrim thing. Yeah, okay. it's okay. Like seven people out there will think it's really funny and they'll write us listener mail to say LOL. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad someone's happy. I'm, I, this podcast is actually all about narrow casting to select groups of people. Anyway, so what's the relevance of this to the illusion of self? Oh, I don't know. Like there's some characteristic of Alicia that makes him special and mm, prophetic. Right. That isn't really him. I don't know. Something about it also reminds me of the tears in the tear container. Mm-hmm. And the lacriminatory. The, the what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something about you're not this one person. Mm-hmm. Nadia is dealing with a predicament where that's like literally the case. Right. She's invested with a double portion of her own spirit. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I don't know. I was thinking about the trauma or the past on trauma that mm-hmm. Nadia has from her mom. That is like preserved tears and Alicia isn't really getting trauma. Really, he's getting like sweet magic powers. But... <laughs> right. I'm uh, surely there's some trauma mixed in there. Yeah, yeah. I really don't think you can part water unless something else is going on. <laughs> Why are you as a man parting a river? It's the only emotional outlet they have. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like there's something essential about Elijah that's passed down. But it can't have been that essential or it couldn't be passed down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it really Elijah? I don't know. I don't know what I'm, I'm just flailing here. We're all just flailing, Michael. We're all just pregnant with ourselves and doing our best. Let me bring some more stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is from Rav Kalanimus Kalman Shapira from Derech HaMelech. <laughs> A commentary on Bereshit says, When a Jew comes to pray, they need to first reveal the aspect of Shekhinah that dwells among us in exile, for she is to be found also inside of us. It is only that she is covered and hidden in garments, and one can bring her forth and reveal her through one's prayer in the sense of, From the depths I called out to you, Hashem, like Joseph did when he called out from the well. Similarly, I call out to Hashem from my depths, and then that godliness is revealed inside of me and prays to Hashem. Then the quality of prayer that is prayed is how Kedushas Levi understands, and he called Hashem Hashem, that, in other words, Hashem calls out to Hashem. So, thesis statement of this paragraph, when we pray appropriately, the God in us is praying to the God outside of us, very simsum moment, and that is how we do effective prayer, is basically by connecting God with God. Now, let me layer a little more on top of that. Whoa. This is from Rabbi Abraham Cohen of Kalisk from his piece Chesed Avraham, which this guy was around 1741-1810 zone. So one needs to align oneself in accord with the divine mind in all aspects of the devotional life, learning, prayer, and contemplation to allow self-contraction to take precedence. Without integration of this self-contraction, a devotional life is unsustainable. For devotion based only on love without awe runs the risk of becoming completely nullified from existence. However, love contracted within limits can become manifest, even despite one's relatively minimal ability to actually do so. So must individuals live a life of self-contraction. Self-contraction? Explain. I believe that Rav Avraham here is talking about humility and... uh, like the necessity of forgetting or transcending oneself in order to be able to like fully manifest divine compassion. Okay. So he's sort of talking about what do we have to do internally? What is the emotional process that allows for the revelation of the internal Shekhinah 
that was being referenced in the previous paragraph. Right, 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 right. And I think also William Temple, who was Archbishop of Canterbury for a while, has this great quote that I think summarizes this process as well, which is, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion about your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself at all. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's nice. So, yeah, I'm sure we can connect it to Russian Doll, but without even connecting it to Russian Doll, this is just like very true to my experience of the mystical and of the spiritual that there can be in ideal circumstances this process of forgetting oneself that allows the divine within to connect to the divine without which feels very like connected to that creation moment like what was being referenced in that paragraph from Rebbe Nachman about the symptom is like basically there's a space that God creates for creation for the purpose of God's compassion to be known. And I feel like the connection of internal divine to external divine is the manifestation of that compassion. It's like achieving the divine plan, basically. I'm just very curious. What was so bad about just a uh, just you know, vibing of just of Einsof vibing? You know, what was yeah. so bad about that? That this whole well, you know what I mean? That's fair. I think part of the problem that Ruby Nachman is dealing with is there must have been something because we seem to exist. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah, <laughs> sure. There must have been something. And as we discussed in our mini episodes about Aerovine 13B, now that we do exist, whether it's for the best or not, all we can do is just make the best of it. And the consensus was it was better that we didn't exist, which implies that God made a mistake. Right. right. Uh, the consensus is that God fucked up. We should have just well, been Ein so The consensus was that it would be better for us if we hadn't been created. Right. This isn't about us. It's about God. Right. This is all a show. This is all a puppet show for God. Really. <laughs> all the world's a stage, and it's just God in the audience slow clapping. Yeah, kind of. That's kind of what's going on. So I guess what I'm getting at here, R.E. Russian Doll is like, I feel like Nadia is going through this elaborate, I don't know, like pantomime of this same God experience. Maybe over the course of season two, she's going to have to learn to forget self in order to be able to heal, in order to be able to like manifest the necessary compassion to navigate whatever time trap she finds herself in. Mm, you've had the benefit of watching the whole season already. <laughs> it's true. I have, although I still think this is, I guess I'm trying to just base this off of the pregnancy with herself metaphor that like, okay, Nadia is for all purposes, Lenora, her mother, mm. and Lenora is Nadia. And they're both pregnant with baby Nadia. So she is in charge of how she comes into this world, basically. She is like entrusted with the care of herself. And I think that may conflict with prioritizing her present self. Like she has to choose whether to prioritize baby Nadia or present Nadia, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. But on the surface, though, the real conflict is a hundred thousand dollars right right also the krugerans she's trying to heal the past by recovering the krugerans i thought that was an interesting contrast the conflict right away in the first season first episode is why am i being resurrected and dying right i am stuck in a weird predicament this conflict is i have the option to try to maybe recover a hundred thousand dollars 
Right. It's just funny if you just line up the conflicts next to each other. The stakes seem a little lower. Perhaps. Perhaps. (laughs) I guess what I'm trying to get at is like she is, I don't know. I feel like she is on a journey of connecting the Nadia within with the Nadia without. And in this case, the Nadia within has been literalized into a fetus. So to me, maybe my counterpoint is like, it seems like the conflict is about the $100,000, but the conflict is actually about reparenting oneself and healing your inner child, which sounds yeah, cheesy, yeah, but that's yeah, what this I show mean, is yeah, fucking about. That's fucking what it's about, I know. And it's so the the Krugerans are a distraction from the primary issue, which is like the opportunity to practice profound compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a lot. Who wants profound compassion when you can have a hundred thousand dollars? I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Give me the hundred, Michael. Give me that hundred. I want that hundred. Sorry, you failed the test. I want a new kitchen. Indiana Jones situation. (laughs) Okay, fine. No, I don't want a new kitchen. I don't even know what I'd do with a hundred thousand bucks. And so, yeah, I'm just saying we're all pregnant with ourselves all the time. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I don't know. I guess a, like part of what I like about this show is it's taking something that would be maybe a surrealist piece of film if Nadia, present Nadia, was pregnant with herself, mm-hmm. but it's turning it into a fantasy and a fable and like making it more approachable. I don't know. Because I do feel like we're all in charge of our baby selves all the time. You know, our baby self is still within us and maybe still has some hurt feelings. And so are like our memories of our mothers. And we have an opportunity every day to choose how we practice in relation to those selves. And this show is just like illustrating that in a very narrative and approachable way. Hmm. So when I say you're a baby, I mean it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I, I need to be swaddled now. That's how you know we've made a good podcast episode is that you end it needing to crawl into a womb. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I feel like that is a good metric. <sighs> well, I feel like we've reached the natural closing point for our discussions today. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you take care of the baby you within the adult you and are able to be swaddled appropriately, either by the universe or by a blanket. And let the baby you connect to the universal baby. Exactly, which is God. Which is God. (laughs) It's really a space odyssey situation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The baby's all the way down, baby. Yeah, it's just stacks of babies. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you know, just like reveal the divine within yourself to connect with the divine without yourself, which is your mother, which is also you as a baby (laughs) is the if you walk away with anything from this podcast today, I want it to be that. Mm, Whoa, we have fun. (laughs) I'm just here. I'm just vibing. Yeah, I'm vibing. I'm I still just want to be in a wisp of Ein Sof, you know, you will be eventually. I know. I know. But. Just rest assured you will ultimately be swaddled in the ultimate womb. And this is just your opportunity to try the project that God launched of connecting the inner and outer God with oneself. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But (laughs) Anyway, enough of me being very woo. 
And yeah, you're like hammering me with the woo right now. Well, you just keep pushing back on it, and that just makes me want to hammer it. I more. know, I know. I'd love... You're right, Hava. What do you want me to say? <laughs> you're right. Okay. Okay, You're dear right. listeners, we love each and every one of you as if you were our baby selves inside ourselves. And we wish you a Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.